Well, it'll be great if you could have uh, the Bible reading open from Acts chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 24, as we are in our second week of Acts, and that way you can follow along and check that what I'm saying is correct as well. There's also an outline on the back of the news sheet if that's of help to you, but let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your grace and mercy to us that you would make yourself known to us. And so we pray that today as we open up this passage, we pray that you would do just that. Make yourself known, open our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts to receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder... What does Jesus have to do with those people on our front lines who aren't yet Christian? Why is it that at St. Bart's here, we prayerfully and financially support people like M overseas or the Langmeads in Lightning Ridge? In a world that's becoming more and more hostile to Christianity and to Jesus, in a period of time in history when people tell us that religion is just a quiet, personal thing and should be kept to ourselves, why would we keep on telling people about Jesus? Well, because of our passage today. Last week, we were introduced to Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. He had a vision to go send some blokes to go find this mate called Peter who was about 60 kilometres away. At the same time, we also saw Peter's vision. Uh, He was hungry and saw a vision of all types of animals being lowered down on a sheet that he wasn't allowed to eat because of Jewish laws. That was said to be unclean. However, he was told by God to kill and eat. Peter refused, but God told him again that he had made all things clean. Uh, This happened three times. So that eventually he came to the realisation for Peter that no food is off limits for Peter, but also more significantly than this, we're going to see that no people groups are off limit for Peter, but also... No people groups are off-limit for Jesus. So then, after a couple of days of walking, Peter and six of his mates and three of Cornelius' men arrive in Caesarea at the house. At the same time, Cornelius has been arranging a bit of a get-together. He's arranged for his family to come over, for his friends to be around. He was so excited and intrigued They invited his whole family to be there to hear and see what was going to happen. And he wanted to hear what the Lord was going to say to them through Peter. And in walks Peter, and he hasn't taken two steps into the house before Cornelius falls down at his feet. Cornelius is so overwhelmed and in awe of Peter that he almost worships Peter. He almost pays homage to him. But Peter is going to have none of it. He says, Cornelius, get up. I'm only a man myself. Peter appropriately recognises that he isn't the Messiah. He is a messenger for the Messiah. 
So then, chatting together, they walk into Cornelius' house. Now, this act of walking into Cornelius' house may seem a little bit inconsequential. It's just, you know, insignificant, a part of the narrative. But actually, this is a radical shift for Peter. Look at me from verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. If you remember from last week, under the Jewish customs at the time, a Jew would not have associated themselves with a Gentile, with those who weren't Jewish. According to the customs, these two groups weren't to mix. They were to be like oil and water, completely separate. Uh, The thinking was, is that if a Jew was hanging out with a Gentile, they may become ceremonially unclean by relating to them or by eating some of their food. So then, it would be better off if the Jew was to just avoid hanging out with a Gentile, as if the Jew was afraid of them or was looking down on them. So here is Peter. He has a bit of a choice to make. He has these human practices on one hand, but then also the vision that he had from God on the other hand. So what does he do? Well, he walks into the house of a Gentile and eventually will eat with him, stay with him. A radical shift. This is because of the second half of verse 27. Look with me. Uh, But God has shown to me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Peter applied his vision not just to food, but also appropriately to people. Peter realized that he shouldn't be calling anyone unclean. So that's why he was able to go in and relate with the Gentiles. They were both on equal footing. There was no distinction. Both people groups were sinners in need of a saviour. And well, it's the same for us today. It's the same for us in our contact with people who aren't Christian. It's exactly the same. See, when we come to tell people about Jesus and share the gospel, there is no one who it is off limits to. Nationality doesn't matter. Morality doesn't matter. It's not up to us to decide who the gospel is for or who the gospel isn't for because no one is too far gone and no one is too far away for Jesus. Jesus demonstrated this in his life, didn't he? When he walked the earth, who did he hang out with? The unclean people, the tax collectors, the adulterers, the outcasts, the sinners. See, Jesus isn't just for the nice people of the world or for the appropriate people in the world, but Jesus is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. For people like you and me. Now, I have a bit of a confession to make here. 
uh, in my thinking and when I talk to people about my friends who aren't Christian, who are just really nice people, I've used the phrase, oh gosh, they'd make a really great Christian. Now, I know it's not the worst thing in the world to say, but when I hold it up to this passage, it's like I'm declaring some people to be clean and some people to be not clean. It's subtle, but it's really the sentiment. So I'm going to cut that out. (laughs) But I wonder then if there are any other thought patterns that we might have when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people. Do we have our own way of declaring some people clean and some people unclean? Do we sometimes think, no, not that person, they won't be interested? Or no, not that person, they're a bit too hostile? No, not that person. Uh, There's no chance of them turning to Jesus. No, I'm too good friends with this person to risk the relationship, so I'm not going to share it. But yes, they would make a great Christian. The news isn't ours to pick and choose who we share it with. It's not up to us to be the judge of who gets to hear it and who doesn't. Because the gospel is good news for everyone. And we, as Jesus' followers, have been commissioned to share it to people from all nations. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that you know, we have to give a gospel tract message every time that we meet someone new. But it means that in our places where we find ourselves week to week, hour to hour, minute by minute, we have the great privilege and the great commission to share both the grace of Jesus practically and also telling them about Jesus. It may also mean that for some of us as followers of Jesus, he might be calling you to a very different front line perhaps in another state, perhaps even in another country in order to share the gospel. Because there is no one who is too far. There is no one who is too unclean because no favoritism is shown. So, Peter has arrived. Cornelius explains why Peter was called and we get a re-recount of Cornelius' events. Now, we may ask, you know, uh, Luke, who's the author, uh, Luke, you've already told us Cornelius' story. Why are we hearing again? Why the repetition? Well, because Luke wants us to know and to have no doubt that God is the main actor here, that God is the one who is making his grace plainly available to people. This wasn't just a made-up account. This wasn't just a chance meeting. No, God's grace is available to all people. It's repeated so that we can have confidence of this. And so here we are. This is Peter's moment to speak. Peter has a captive audience. They're waiting for him to speak. And Cornelius' story, in combination with his own vision, gives Peter an amazing clarity. The penny drops for Peter. Look at me from verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, 
but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God does not show favoritism. No partiality. Uh, This is something which Israel has been told generations and generations ago, way back before entering into the Promised Land even. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, Moses says, For the Lord is your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. No favoritism. Now, it is, you know, it's, it's human nature to have favourites, isn't it? We probably have our favourite piece of clothing, our favourite shirt, our favourite car, our favourite type of coffee or favourite sporting team. Uh, there are other times where it's socially not acceptable to have favourites, like a favourite child or a favourite grandchild. But God isn't like us. There is no favourite child for God. No favourite human or favourite nation with God. Because if we think about it, let's suppose that God did show favouritism. Who would be worthy of his favour? What could we possibly give back to God to be one of his favourites? What could we possibly do to get into God's good corner? Well, I'd be the first to say that if God did show favoritism, I would not be one of his favorites. And if God showed favoritism, then our salvation wouldn't be by grace, but it would be by works. As if it was a competition to win God's approval or blessing or something like that. You know, as if God was some kind of X-factor judge and we're participants doing our best to win him over. But no, it's not like that at all. Because God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fears him. Which means that we don't have to work for God's approval. We don't have to earn God's favor. But simply believe in him. Fear him. Turn to him. The only thing that's needed is to respond. And it's the exact same for us as it is for those in the world. It doesn't matter what nationality people come from. It doesn't matter what language they speak at home, what their marital status is, what their income is, what their job is like. It doesn't even matter what their criminal record has been or what their morality is like. God wants all people to turn to him, believe in him, and be saved. Not just a particular type of people, but all people. And this is made possible only through Jesus through Jesus, who is the Lord of all. Peter, in his talk to the household, 
wants them to know that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the judge, but Jesus is also the one through whom we have forgiveness, even for the Gentiles. So, let's get into it. He begins with Jesus' life. Obviously, uh, news of Jesus had spread throughout the region, and so Cornelius would have known something about him. And if you glance down at verse 36, uh, Peter points out that Jesus was foretold, and that he was the one to bring peace because he was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Lord of all. Then in verses 37 to 38, Peter goes on to describe Jesus' life and how Jesus did many miracles, but how he also had so much compassion on people, how he had authority even over the evil one. Then Peter confirms all the above in verse 39 by saying, if you look with me at verse 39, that we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Jesus was a real human being in real time, seen by real people. Peter even ate and drank with Jesus after his death and resurrection. And it's Jesus who is the one who is in complete authority, who's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. Not just some people, but all people. But what's more amazing is that in verse 43, if you look with me, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, our sins can be completely done away with. It's not through God's favoritism. It's not through our family line. It's through Jesus. Which means that anybody can come to him. See, this is God's heart for the world. He longs for all people to turn to him. He's made his love so abundantly known to us. So I wonder... Is this our heart for the world? For a world that knows and loves Jesus. It's very hard to take the good news to people if we don't realise and believe that it is both good news and for all people. But the reality is, is that God's grace is for every human being. No one too far. No favoritism. So then we have a role to play. We get to be heralds and messengers of the best news ever about God's generous grace, about God's abundant mercy, of the forgiveness of sins, all through Jesus. And the most loving thing that we can do for people on our front lines who don't know Jesus yet is to tell them about him. We don't have to be great evangelists. We just need to talk about our relationship with Jesus. We don't have to add any value to make it look pretty. We don't have to market it. 
We mustn't take anything away from it to make it supposedly more palatable. No, but simply tell people about him. Because everybody can come to Christ. If Peter and the believers with him had any doubt about the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's plan of salvation, by the end of this chapter, they are left in no doubt whatsoever. Because in these next verses, the Holy Spirit comes on everybody in the household. He gives them ability to speak different languages. And they begin praising God. Yes, God's Spirit came even on the Gentiles. This is amazing. Look with me from verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. As we've already seen, it doesn't matter what background people come from. It doesn't matter if people are circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter who they are. Anyone can come to Christ. Anyone can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is then affirmed by Peter in the baptism of the whole household in the name of Jesus as a sign that they have turned to Christ, as a sign that they have come under new ownership and new life in Jesus. So then if you're here today and maybe you are holding back from Jesus, either joining us online or here in the room. Perhaps you may feel like you're not good enough. Perhaps you may feel like you don't fit in. Maybe you think that God wouldn't like someone like you. Please know that God doesn't show favoritism. There are no preconditions. There is no terms or conditions. There is no fine print to coming to Christ. So I want to urge you, please think hard about Jesus. And know that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness in his name. If you are here today and you have turned to Jesus... We need constant reminding of this too. We can get so caught up in performing for God or trying to be productive for God that we can forget that his favour doesn't have anything to do with how good we are or what we have done. But we have his love and mercy simply by his grace. And that warmth of his love and freedom of his embrace is something which we can just simply rest in, enjoy in, delight in, but also not keep it to ourselves, but share it with others as well. Because the gospel isn't just for us. The gospel isn't just for people like us. Gospel is for everybody. 
So then what does Jesus have to do with those people on our front lines who don't know him yet? Well, absolutely everything. In a world that's becoming more and more hostile to Christianity and to Jesus, and when we're being told more and more to keep our religion to ourselves, why do we keep on telling people about him? Because Jesus is good news. And Jesus is Lord of all. So let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Our loving Lord, how we thank you so much for your glorious gospel. We thank you so much for your abundance of love and mercy and grace that has been poured out into us through Jesus. Lord God, help us to cast off our performance for you, our need to please you, But Lord, help us to rest in the knowledge that you love us. Heavenly Father, we pray for those people on our front lines who don't know you yet. May you open up their eyes and soften their hearts to see just how great you are. And give us boldness. Give us confidence. Give us clarity. Give us creativity in ways in which we can share just how great you are with them that there may be a world that knows Jesus. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.